Have you ever considered how to approach risk-taking in your quilting practice? Today's guest loves this topic and does just that while also adding a touch of comedy along the way. Welcome to the Quilter on Fire podcast. Hello and welcome to the Quilter on Fire podcast, where I explore quilting stories that will inspire, motivate, and bring you more joy and less overwhelm on your own creative path. I get emails every week from listeners just like you who tell me that something in the latest podcast episode has touched them personally. I couldn't ask for anything more. For me, it's all about the story, the connections, and building community. I'm your host, Brandy Maslowski, also known as the Quilter on Fire. And I can't wait to share this week's episode with you. So here we go. My guest today is a quilt designer, teacher, and lecturer, and has taken the leap from quilting as a hobby slash stress relief to being a sought-after professional around the world, adding challenges to her quilting and art making, and a consistent practice, plus a bit of rolling the dice, has really helped her thrive and inspire quilters everywhere. She has been heavily involved in the Global Quilt Connection and now sits as president of SACWA. Her popular blog, filled with joy and inspiration, is called Peace, Love, and Happiness. Today, I'll have a chat with Mel Beach. Mel, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Brandy. I'm delighted to be here. Well, I can't wait to dive into your story. It is a good one filled with inspiration for everyone. So let's start by taking a little look back at where you got started. When do you first remember putting stitch to fabric? Oh, great question. You know, I had both my grandparents and both my paternal and maternal side did lots of hand embroidery and needle arts. So I learned pretty early from them doing 4-H, Girl Scouts, all those childhood activities. But the one activity that really intrigued me was quilt making. I had an aunt that did it. And one year, I think it was around high school, she gave me a, a bundle of fabrics like calicos at the time and said she would teach me at some point. I was super excited. But, you know, busy schedules, you know, with high school and then going off to college, that never materialized. But I had those fabrics. I kept petting them. And finally, my last year of grad school, I had a stack of T-shirts from college and summer camp and, and whatnot that I was no longer wearing. And somewhere I got the idea that they could be turned into a quilt, a T-shirt quilt. So I had my mother, the next time she came to visit me, she brought up our old Kenmore sewing machine. It's like a workhorse, all metal. She showed me how to sew with it. We kind of podged the, the quilts, the T-shirts together, and I made my first quilt. It was a bit of a hot mess. I didn't know about really quarter-inch seams. I didn't know about batting and quilting and even binding, but I got the quilting bug from that project. And I, as soon as I finished it, I went out and bought quilting cotton, and I haven't looked back since. I, I really enjoyed that process. That quilt traveled all over the country with me. Spring break trips, road trips, different conferences. It was, and I still have it to this day, and it comes out in really cold, cool days here in California. So, Oh, that's so great. Well, first you had this wonderful family creative inspiration, which is such a joy. And your very first quilt was all of these memories from all these years yeah. of the quilts. That's so great. So how did your love for quilting blossom from there once you had your first quilt? 
lots of learning, you know, on my own in many ways, reading books, magazines, absorbing whatever I could. I love watching Alex Anderson on Simply Quilts. I would wake up early to watch that in the morning. I was very sad when the program was canceled. But yeah, a lot of self-discovery and kind of playing. I did lots of traditional quilt blocks. I can't tell you how many rail fences and log cabins I've done over my days. But each time I learned some different skills, some different tips and tricks. And then fast forward to 2010, I moved cross country to California. I had originally grown up in upstate New York and I joined my first quilt guild here in the Bay Area. And it was through that guild that I took my first quilting classes, some of the local quilt shops. And the first class I took actually was on incorporating photos into your quilts. And I was excited. I thought that'd be a cool technique to learn. And I learned so much more from that class. I was like, oh my gosh, not that I was doing things wrong, but I learned there was better ways of doing a variety of quilting and piecing and getting way better results. So I've been hooked on workshops ever since. And whenever I get a chance to take a workshop on a new technique to add to my toolbox, I'm signing up and excited to kind of learn. Yeah. So what type of quilting do you gravitate to the most? Oh, it's changed over the years. Certainly lots of tradition uh, when I first started. I then you know, got very heavily involved into and lured into the modern quilting. I love the negative space, the bright colors, and really for the past maybe three to five years, really getting more involved with art quilting and the layers and depth and incorporating personal meeting, mark making, all of that. So I would say, you know, I, I do it all. I love it all. But more recently, it's been those art quilts, contemporary quilts. Yeah. And I I just want to do a little shout out for your gallery on your website right now. So if you want to go to Mel's website, it's melbeachquilt.com. You can click on the gallery tab and like it's an explosion of, it's kind of an explosion of inspiration because you love to try all kinds of different techniques, right? So loads of inspiration there. So make sure you go check that out. Okay. So how did your style grow and change over time from the time you started with the t-shirt quilt till now? Great question. Again, I've never followed, I think there's only one quilt pattern that I've purchased. I actually followed from start to finish. It's pretty a rare anomaly. I think even from the beginning, I was always modifying and changing, whether it was very different fabric choices or adding different borders or no borders. So I, I've not a really, not very good at following directions always. And so that's always been part of my quilt making experience. And I think just kind of as I read magazines, as I look at books, as I see what some of the trends are, what intrigues me, definitely quilt shows, attending some of the quilt shows, both from the guild and local shows, as well as some of the bigger ones, international shows. I'm always like intrigued. Okay, who's pushing the envelope? What's the next exciting thing in quilting? And that's the ones I tend to gravitate. It's like, you know, how did she do this? Or how did he do this? And so I love kind of, you know, figuring out new ways to incorporate and tell my story through quilt making. And, and quilt shows are a great fodder for all of that inspiration. Yeah, you can really see the quilt story coming through in your mandalas and some of the quilting challenges you've done along the way. Yes. It is all about the visual... Like even the last thing that you're working on right now that, you know, that we'll talk about it in a little bit, you know, the last challenge you're working on, you can see that the inspiration is actually not like I'm going to do a leaf. It's like a different type of word that inspires you to do a leaf yeah. or something like that. So that's really cool. We're going to get into that in a little bit. I can, you can tell that I can't wait to talk about that stuff. <laughs> so let's take a step back for a second and find out where are you living now and who are your loved ones that you share your world with every day? 
Yeah. For the past, you know, most years, I've been living in Northern California, San Jose. It's a really vibrant area for quilting, especially art quilting. It's got a strong history here in Northern California. So that's been really a big part of my journey. I currently live with my partner, Doug. We've been seeing each other for a number of years and we have three little dogs from my previous career. I worked in animal shelter and rescue work. So two of them are moments of weakness from that career. And one is a more recent addition. So they're my studio assistants and keep me company, except for when I'm teaching and doing podcasts because they can be a little bit talkative at times. Yeah, I can't have Luna back here because she just, she'll yawn. She'll be like, roar, right in the middle. I'm like, "Mm." well, you were sleeping, but that doesn't really work for a podcast. So that sounds like so much fun, a house full of pups. Okay, so let's do a little bit of an elevator pitch. Tell us about your business in a snapshot. Yeah, I focus mostly on teaching through lectures and workshops, and I'm all about incorporating boosts of fun, inspiration, along with tips and tricks. And so that's what I try to incorporate into everything I do, whether it's my lectures, my workshops, my monthly newsletter. It's kind of covering those four bases and and really about the fun factor. Yeah, and we're going to dive into your teaching, speaking, writing everything after the break. So did you make a transition from another career before quilting as a professional? Yeah, actually, I've had a few different careers that have kind of, it's just been interesting. Originally, back in New York, I was a college and university administrator. So I lived in the, you know, residence halls or dormitories. I oversaw that program of staffing and training and hiring and all that good stuff. I was on call every other week for the entire campus. So it's amazing the functionality I can have at 2 a.m., 3 a.m. phone calls. When I moved across country to California, it was going to require a few steps back in my career and living on campus, which kind of defeated the purpose of why I moved cross-country to be with my partner. So I kind of reinvented myself and uh, I did some nonprofit for Girl Scouts. And for a number of years, I worked in animal shelters and rescue work. I did education as well as behavior. So all the stray animals that would come in, I was usually one of the first folks to see them and kind of gauge, you know, what do we need to do to make this animal ready for adoption? Oh, it sounds like kind of like a dream job because you're with all these lovely animals, but I bet you there's highs and lows, of course. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And you mentioned something earlier that just brought back this wonderful memory because of course we're recording this over the holidays. We're going to see, we're going to hear this episode in the new year, but we're recording it over the holidays, but you mentioned 4-H and it's it's amazing because I took 4-H as a young child as well up here in Canada. And I remember making one little thing that was really kind of memorable. It was an orange and we simply just stuck cloves all over it and made it into a Christmas ornament. So that's a wonderful memory I had of 4-H as well. But getting back to the story, <laughs> I don't know why that came up for me. It's just such no, a No, nice I love memory. it that, you know, that quilting can conjure up so many wonderful memories of childhood and, and often happy memories and, and how to celebrate those. So that's awesome. Was there kind of a defining moment when you felt, you know what, this is my thing. I think I can do this for a living. Yeah. You know, the shelter work is definitely highs and lows. It can be a high burnout job. And so when I left that field, you know, much, you know, because of burnout, I was kind of in flux. What do I do next? And for years, my family, my mother, my brother kept saying, oh, you should do quilting for a living. I said, oh, but that's my, that was always my source of relief from my day jobs, if you will. And so it's where I got kind of just mentally checked out. I could just focus on something and and really process everything. 
And so I was really reluctant to turn that into my day job because then what would have been my source of stress relief? And so when I left the animal shelter work, I took a few months off and started kind of a few things happened around that time. I had done a full day demo for my quilt guild. It sold out record fast. We had 35 participants and it was a really positive experience of teaching 35 quilters, a new technique that was on like a Wednesday or Thursday. The following Monday was our quilt guild meeting and more than half of them were up there with their finished projects. So that was really oh. a, an uplifting, a positive experience. And around that same time, I received an email from a guild in Las Vegas, Quilters, and they'd gotten my name, they'd seen my blogs, and they wondered if I would be willing to travel to Las Vegas to do a, a trunk show for them. And I, I just felt like the stars were kind of aligning and telling me, okay, this is the path for you. And it's been an incredible journey. I mean, all my life experiences, you know, my being an administrator has helped with the scheduling and the, the administrative side of teaching. Certainly the shelter work, you know, while I'm not training animals, a lot of those training principles really make it easy for me to break down some of the skills and some of the more technical aspects of quilting that can be challenging for some quilters to pick up. That translates. So it just feels like all the stars are aligned and I'm finally swimming with the current rather than against the current in my careers. Yeah. Okay. So now I want to dive a little bit into design because when you scroll through your gallery, there's just this it's such a wonderful, colorful variety of techniques. You're brave and you're not afraid to try things. So when you see something in the world that sparks an idea, how do you capture that? Oh, gosh, I jot things down. I'm constantly mentally cataloging. Oh, that's a really interesting idea. Lots of photos. So when I go to quilt shows, I'm constantly taking photos and, you know, as well as the card so I can refresh back and say, okay, this idea intrigued me. What is it about this quilt that intrigues me? Is it the use of color? Is it the texture? And how can I kind of take some of those sources of inspiration, some of those techniques incorporate into what I love to do? So that's been really helpful. Pinterest is certainly my friend. I'm constantly pinning like, oh, what interests me for that? And I would say a lot of my pins are not quilts. I get sources of inspiration from everything. I get it from graphic design. I get it from drawing, doodling, you name it. Nature is certainly a huge source of inspiration for me. So I would say inspiration's all around if you open your eyes and choose to look for it. Oh, yeah, for sure. Sometimes I get a little flack on social media because I'm posting a photo of a bathroom wall. And they're like, what are you doing taking photos in the bathroom? But I'm like, it's such a perfect little grid. <laughs> so it can be very funny sometimes where you find inspiration. So yeah. what is your design process? Once you've got an idea sparked in your mind, are you a sketchy McSketcherson on pencil to paper or do you design all digitally? Oh, it's evolved. I have used electric quilt software early on, especially when I was doing more traditional quilts. I could play with color and layouts. So that's certainly part of my arsenal. I do a lot of sketching, not a whole a lot of ideas, but I'll write, jot down quick ideas like, okay, I want to do these shapes or I'll make some notes. And then when I have just enough to jump in, I just get started and let the fabric kind of tell me. So it's a little bit of planning, just enough to get started and not be too wasteful. But I would say a lot of improv and seeing what happens, where does this quilt tell me to go, and being open to new possibilities. Okay, now this is going to be my favorite part of today's podcast. <laughs> I've been wanting to talk to you about these ideas for ages. So let's start with roll the dice. Just go to town. 
Absolutely. So 2020, you know, a world event happened, COVID in terms of shutting down my teaching schedule. And so no travel, no teaching for a month or two at least. And so at first I was secretly giddy. I had all this time in my studio and then I was like, what the heck am I going to do? This is obviously going to go on for a little bit more than just a month or two. And a friend had pinged me saying, hey, you know, a hundred day project is starting up. And 100 Day Projects have always fascinated me. I love the idea, but because of my travel teaching schedule, I just didn't know if it was going to be logical or feasible to actually complete all 100 days and do something that would be portable but fun. So this was my opportunity to dive in. And with the pandemic and that gift of time, which is what I really chose to see it as, as a gift of time, time in my studio, time off from teaching, I was determined to come out a better artist. And so I concocted this game plan, which I would explore different color combinations, different elements of art and different design principles. You know, they were kind of in my wheelhouse, but not really. And so I wanted to get more intentional with using them. And I think with color, I tend to gravitate towards certain colors and I wanted to kind of explore different color schemes, different color groupings. And so by rolling the dice, that would help me kind of get out of my comfort zone, exploring different combinations of those. And so each night, basically, I rolled the dice to determine what color scheme, element of art and design principle I would use to incorporate into a seven inch fused composition. So pretty small, didn't do any stitching, just fused it down. I had a lot of scraps that were already fused left over from classes and previous projects. So they were kind of sorted by color. And for 100 days, that's what I did almost every evening. I'd go into my studio, sometimes as late as 10, 11 o'clock at night and roll the dice and just play and see what would emerge from purely scraps and a roll of the dice. And after 100 days, they really, I mean, it was fun to see lots of different designs. I got much more comfortable. The first few days or weeks, I had some textbooks, you know, some design books. I would have to kind of, okay, what does it mean by balance? What does it mean by this? And over time, I didn't have to look at those books anymore. I didn't have to look at the color wheel. I was able to kind of wean myself off some of those tools and get much more skilled, much more comfortable, much more practice at using those different design ideas in my art. Some of them turned into bigger quilts. Some of the other ones are probably likely to come into bigger quilts because I love the, you know, little maquettes that I created. So I love that 100 day project. I love connecting with other artists. I took about four days off, kind of wrapped up everything, did my celebratory blog post, put things away. And I immediately jumped into another 100 day project. This one, yeah, it just it was like kind of addicting. And it was just a really nice way of ending my day during some pretty stressful times in our world. And so the second 100 day project was I called it 100 Days of Dice Doodles. And it was all about free motion quilting. And really, you know, here in California, much of the world that was really shut down. So the typical sources of inspiration going to museums and galleries were not accessible. So where do we get our design inspiration? Quilt shows were closed. And so I rolled the dice to kind of look for inspiration in my own surroundings and my own past. And so pretty much the night before, as soon as I finished that dice doodle, I would roll the dice to kind of give me a lens to look for my next day. And so I think one was music, two was photos that I'd taken. History, you know, anything from the past, like memories was one. Music, music can be a challenging one, but it can inspire lots of different memories. What else was part of my four days? There were six categories. And then I always do an artist choice. So when I'm in doubt, artist choice, something that makes me happy that day. 
And again, I was free motion quilting, just a four inch square each day. So nothing too big, very doable in, in an in hour or so, or even less if I had to. And, you know, I first, the first day I had the big grid, it was about 40 inches or so. That's why this big grid all stitched out, you know, 10 squares across, 10 down. And it looked intimidating seeing this blank screen. And day by day, I would do my little doodling, my little free motion quilting and fill up boxes. For the most part, I work chronologically from top left to bottom right, kind of row by row. And so it's, you know, once I was done with that, all I had to do was trim and bind it. And I finished quilt that was really a, a stitch journal of those 100 days of living during a pandemic. And so there's all kinds of memories of world events. There's memories of like my diet or not so healthy diet during 100 days and some of the stress of that. But it's a really beautiful celebration of kind of a, another 100 days and a different lens to look at our world for inspiration. Yeah, that's so inspiring. So can you tell us a little bit more about... So let's just say someone wanted to create a 100-day project for themselves, okay? So you have dice with numbers on them, obviously. So do you choose like maybe a dozen things to pull out of a hat, the number, whatever? Like how do you come up, how do you correlate the numbers on the dice to the inspirations you're going to use in your work? Yeah, so I say the first thing I do with a 100-day project is think about what my goals are. Am I trying to learn something new? Am I trying to practice? Am I just playing with an idea? And so I'll jot down one or two, maybe three goals I have. So in the case of Design by Dice, I want to get more intentional with different design elements and color schemes. So that's kind of the starting point. And then I start thinking about, well, what can I do to kind of stretch my skills? What would kind of take me to that next level? And I'll start to kind of write down all the ideas that I could do, all the color schemes or all the different groupings. And most dice are six-sided, but if you're, you know, if you're into role-playing or Dungeons and Dragons, you'll know that there's dice with different sides. So some dice are four sides, some dice are 20 sides. So if you wanted more options to play with, you can certainly choose a different dice to kind of get those assignments. And basically, once I know about how many assignments I want to do or how many ways I want to explore an idea, I'll whittle them down and give them each a number that corresponds to a dice. And so it's really fun. It's kind of what if I don't think too much about, well, can these work together? I briefly would think about, you know, will these actually work together? What am I going to do? But I really just roll and respond and let it happen. The first day, the first week is a little bit like, okay, what's happening? And once I see that, yeah, these actually are pushing me to new directions in my art, new design ideas, you get more confident and it gets easier with time. Yeah. So there were three outcomes when you rolled the dice in the first project, right? So you roll, did you roll the dice three times and and choose those three numbers? Great question. I actually gave each column. So I had a little matrix and all my game plans are up on my website. So if you go to my design by dice gallery and you can read about those different journeys, but actually you have access to the dice plans or the game plans that you can download and, you know, either recreate them, change them up for yourself. But each column had its own listing of categories. And so like maybe design elements was green dice, as I recall, color schemes might have been white and black. And so this way I can roll them all at once. I'll take a picture, I'll circle it on my little game plan. And then that's kind of the lens that I create from that particular day. So cool. So if you want to find that, go to melbeachquilts.com, click on the gallery tab, and the very first square right there is all about the design dice. Yeah. Okay, great. So that sounds super fun. 
what I like about that too is a hundred day project. I think a lot of people get tripped on like, what am I going to do for a hundred days? And truly the dice, it's just roll and respond. You don't have to think until it's time to do it. So if you've got five minutes, 10 minutes, roll and respond. And this is something I do in my design by dice mini workshops. We actually go through some of these exercises and they only have 10 minutes or so to create a little composition or create something or find something. And they're always amazed at what you can do in a short chunk of time, but just how it stretches them. So it's a, it's a really fun workshop to teach. Yeah. And it's all about taking creative risk, right? So talk to us a little bit about creative risk. What does that mean to you? Yeah. You know, it's funny. I don't really consider myself a big risk taker in the real world, but when it comes to quilting, I I tend to be fearless. And I think some of that is because I was mostly self-taught. I didn't know that there were quilting rules, so I didn't know if I was breaking them or not. So I think that certainly makes me a a more curious quilter. It certainly helps with teaching for sure. But, you know, as I look at things, in my history of quilting, I do see that I take a number of creative risks without really realizing it. One of the biggest risks early on was doing quilt challenges. I love doing them. I've done well over a hundred quilt challenges this time. Uh, Some of them are fabric challenges hosted by like a fabric company or my guild has done fabric challenges where you inherit or you purchase a a bundle of fabrics that are pretty wild and outrageous and you have to turn them into a a cohesive quilt. Some of the challenges I do are based on an inspiration source or a prompt. Some of them are four to six months and a number of the challenges I love especially doing are project quilting challenges. These are one week challenges. They're fast. They're furious. They start on Sunday. You have one week to start and finish a quilt. And they don't usually tell you what size is. So sometimes, you know, a number of people are doing mug rugs. It's a great way to play with an idea, do something small, finish within the week. I would say most of my quilts are usually about the 18 to 20 inch, maybe table runners tends to be where I kind of go with my quilts, which is great for when I'm lecturing. I could pack lots of smaller quilts and people can see a lot of variety and diversity in my quilt making story. So that's been helpful. But those design challenges really stretch me. They kind of push me in a new direction. They help me fall in love with different colors, different fabrics, and really explore different ideas that I probably wouldn't have done on my own, you know, if left to my own devices. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to get into a little bit about the comedy improv. So tell us about <laughs> that. How do you incorporate that into your creative journey? Yeah, that's a fun little story. When I was first going into teaching, I'd done a number of public speaking as part of training and whatnot. But doing the lectures, I tend to be a fast talker. I get initially nervous and then I kind of subside. And I was looking at different, you know, programs to kind of help me get a little bit more comfortable. I wasn't say I was fearful, but just get more comfortable, more practice with doing presentations. And I was looking at Toastmasters, but then I attended some comedy improv shows here locally in the Bay Area. And I love them. And I just, they were such fun. They were great stress relief. And then they tell you, mom, they would do some announcements saying, if you'd like to learn about this, we do classes and it's great for confidence and public speaking. I'm like, I'll try it. I'll do a first class, see what happens. And those either six to eight weeks flew by. It was once a week. 
And it was such fun getting up on stage and doing stuff very much like if you've ever seen the show, Whose Lines It Anyway, it's very similar activities and games that we're playing where we get up on stage as a crew. So you're never there by yourself. It's not like stand up where you're all the pressure's on you. You're part of a team or a troupe. And, you know, we get audience suggestions. Nothing's planned. We have no idea what we're going to be doing other than maybe the games that we're going to play. But the, the audience really participates by providing those prompts, a source of inspiration, that feedback. And, you know, when you're up on stage, you are so in the moment. Improv teaches you to be a really good listener. It really teaches you to think on the spot. You don't have, you know, you can't be thinking a week of what I'm going to do this for the show. It's your people, are eyes are watching. You've got to get going with a program and you don't have to have it all planned out. We don't have an entire 15 minute show planned out. We just have to bring an idea to the table. And it's very much similar to quilting. All you need is a nugget of an idea to get started. Maybe it's a group of fabrics. Maybe it's an idea, a sketch. And then kind of let that quilt tell its story and kind of build onto it, adding one piece at a time. Improv really tell, teaches you to be comfortable with mistakes because you're going to make them often. And that's what a lot of the classes and exercise we do is working so fast that you are forced to make mistakes because you can't just keep up. And guess what? We recover. Nobody's died in improv, to my knowledge. <laughs> you know, we all survive. And sometimes it's the mistakes that make the best shows because we can laugh it off. The audience loves it. Like, oh, they goofed up. And it can really tell and take that story in an exciting new direction. And that's so true in the quilting world too. I can't tell you how many mistakes I make. And a lot of times that leads me to new discoveries, new directions in my quilt making journey. Yeah. And, and that's so true because even when there's mistakes made or, well, maybe not even mistakes made, but if you're watching a comedy show and they show you the outtakes, it's when they break character and they can't stop laughing. And that is the most funny thing. They're trying so hard not to do it, but when they do do it, the audience is right there with them, just <laughs> lapping it all up, right? Absolutely. So those comedy improv probably did wonders for your public speaking and your teaching and that kind of thing. They so did. I, you know, after doing an entire show based on, you know, random audience suggestions, getting up on stage, talking about my quilts, piece of cake. And I can tell you, I not much phases me when it comes to teaching either questions, nothing phases me. You know, one time I showed up for a workshop and we were double booked with a funeral procession and we were set up. We were starting, I just started teaching and all of a sudden these people started showing up and they were crying and we're like, what happened? And the program chair went out. She goes, let me sort this out. So I kept teaching and about two minutes later, she came back, we need to leave. I was like, where are we going? She goes, I don't know yet. We're going to figure that out. And so, you know, I just, you know, any other person probably would have been just like, oh my gosh, totally phased out of it. We showed up, we, they found a, a new space and we just got back into the workshop and everybody's like, how did you handle that? It's like, well, you know, what else are we going to do? And so it helped that it was a model class, which was very Zen. And so I was modeling Zen thinking. I've showed up to other workshops where we've taught in animal shelters and bowling alleys. And so, you know, not much phases me at this point because it's a chance to play, explore and see what happens. Yeah, so great. Okay, so with all this stuff that you're putting out into the world, do you have a huge team behind you or are you a one person show? 
I wish I had a team. I wish I could clone myself, but really very much, it's very much me. I have support from my partner and my family. You know, my mother is great about helping to edit. If I'm writing an article for a magazine, she'll be that final proofing. So that's very helpful. My partner sometimes will help me film things when I need an extra person, things like that. But for the most part, it's me wearing many different hats which I kind of enjoy kind of no two days are alike. I like that in my career that, you know, it's something to look forward to and what am I going to do today and what's going to take me further in teaching and quilting. Yeah. It's so inspiring that the very first time you taught and then you were invited to teach, you know, and travel. What do you think it is about what you do that really resonates with quilting guilds and people who want to book you? Yeah. Well, I think certainly my offerings kind of stretch many different genres. So no matter what kind of guild you are, if you have folks on modern, if you're more traditional, I have something that kind of can be appealing to your members, but I can also kind of stretch them in new directions without being too scary, too intimidating. I think certainly my youth factor helps. I think I'm a little bit younger than most of the quilt teachers that are that I was familiar with at the time. And I think I really strive to do the same thing I do in my own quilting is have fun. And I really try to make learning new skills. It can be scary. I know a lot of quilters want perfection from the beginning and I try to help them embrace mistakes. I help them set them up for success. It's not that I'm trying to set them up for failure, but I, I'm always about incorporating that fun factor, bits of inspiration, and really, you know, those tips and tricks that have helped me be successful. So when they have that vision in their head, they have some different tools to help them get from point A to point B. Yeah. And sometimes those failures turn into the most wonderful surprises, right? Absolutely. So all this talk about quilt challenges and 100 day projects and everything like that, what are you working on right now? Absolutely. So right now I'm actually not rolling the dice. I am participating in Julie Fafan Balzer's Carve December Last December is when I first took my first block printing class and it happened to coincide with Carve December. And I remember being very new to carving on my own blocks and printing them and just being amazed at all the different designs and layers that folks were creating that were participating in last year. So this year, when I saw that it was getting closer to December, I was like, ooh, pull out all my carving stuff and start playing again. I've been doing it off and on throughout the year. Earlier this year, I did 100 days of block printing or hand-carved design. So I'd done quite a bit of practice. This was kind of a, a rabbit hole that I've gone through since December. And so for Carve December, no dice, but Julie has provided 31 days of daily prompts. And it's just one word prompts with lots of many interpretations as I'm seeing from both my own takes as well as my fellow participants. And so every day I am using those prompts to carve one or more blocks and then printing out many different designs. And I'm having so much fun playing along with this and exploring new ideas. They're all new cars. And it's just been fun, that community that, and again, it's in the evening. It's kind of the way I wrap up my day, go into my studio, car for a bit, print, and then post. Yeah, so much better than television. And so can you tell me, for the person who's never carved anything before, you're talking about lino carving. It's sort of like an eraser type material, right? Can you describe yeah. it to us a little bit? 
Yeah, it's very much, it's, you know, some people do carve into linoleum. We're doing soft carving blocks. Speedball makes it. It's a very soft, just like you said, like an eraser. There are a variety of carving gouges that are out there. Speedball makes like a five-in-one tool that's really user-friendly. That's what I started with. And I still use it from time to time. But then there's some, you know, if you get into it, it's nice to have a few different gouges so you don't have to kind of keep switching between the different tips for different aspects of, you know, how intricate you want to go. And then I'm just doing mostly right now ink on paper because it's quick and easy again for a daily project but my goal going into learning block printing is to do it on my fabric i love buying fabric but i really love even more so is creating my own fabrics and block printing allows me to kind of get those repeat designs of my dreams it's kind of going to my own quilt shop and finding the perfect fabrics for to tell my story but i will warn your readers it is addicting it's a whole rabbit hole that i've gone through but it's super meditative because i'm using my hands I'm using my brain, my mind, my heart. It's really the whole body's involved in the process in a good direction. Yeah. And I, a sort of a theme that's formed in my mind here about you is what I love is that you are sort of taking something you want to become better at, like design and color or like free motion quilting or lino carving or whatever it is. You're taking the thing you want to get better at. You're challenging yourself to do something. You're bringing in inspiration from outside as well. Other people giving you prompts or you're rolling the dice. It's just such a great combination for a creative adventure. So I love bringing this topic to the listeners of this podcast because it's just so inspiring. You can really take it in any direction you want, right? Okay, so let's talk a little bit about a sneak peek of something that's coming up. Something I've been working on the past year or so is kind of a first book. It's something when I go and travel and teach people like, oh, do you have a book? And it's like, oh, it's on my bucket list. I've been wanting to publish a book. And so, you know, with the changes in the publishing world, it'll probably be self-published, but it's something I've been kind of readily working on week by week, kind of adding another section or two. So I'm hoping, fingers crossed, right now I've got most of it written. I've got lots of the photos done. It's really getting that formatting. So it's hopefully, fingers crossed, something I'll have ready for 2023. Definitely stay updated. You know, if you want to sign up for my monthly newsletter, you'll be the first in the know when and if it becomes available. But that's kind of what I'm channeling. And yes, it will be fun. It'll be playful, which is, you know, so true and on brand for me. So great. Okay. So if you want to sign up for that newsletter, go to melbeachquilts.com. There's a black header right at the top you can click on to get on her newsletter. Okay. So let's talk about your website while I'm there. So the name of your website is melbeachquilts.com. And what can we find there? Oh, I try to keep it organized for folks. You know, I tended, you know, because I focus on traveling teaching, I want to make it really easy for guilds or shows that are looking to book me. They can find exactly what I offer in terms of lectures and workshops. So that's a whole section under teaching. If you want to join me for a workshop, maybe you're part of a guild or just wondering where I'm going to be next. I have a whole calendar schedule so you can see what and where I'll be next teaching. And then I have my galleries, which, you know, most of my galleries, it's kind of by themes of different techniques or designs I enjoy doing or teaching. And if you go into there, one, you'll be treated to a, a treasure trove of photos and, and bright, colorful images, but most of them are linked to my blog. So if you want a deeper dive, like how did she come up with this? You can learn more about the inspiration, some of the design process techniques that I used. And so if you really want to go down that rabbit hole, it's kind of a fun process. 
Yeah, there's so many great things there. So if you go to the website, you can find the gallery, you can find her teaching and schedule and the blog as well. So let's dive into the blog. What kind of things will we find there? Oh, it's kind of my travel log or my log of my quilting adventures, what I called it. I started it, gosh, almost 10 or 12 years ago. And it really started as just a way of documenting my quilt making journey. I had some photo albums, but I wasn't really talking about what materials, what the source of inspiration. I just had the finished picture. So I thought this would be a good way of kind of processing and Initially, I think I had an audience of my mom and my partner. Yeah, you know, like, okay, I got a new blog post, go read it. And somehow I, got, I must have shared it with a guild member and they shared it with their friends. And I started getting a bit of a following. But really, it's my way. It's very much for me. I do, I share it and anybody can read it, but it's been incredibly helpful for me to kind of process each quilt that I make and, and kind of reflect on what was the inspiration? What did I learn from it? What would I do differently? You know, what were some of the pitfalls that I hit? And so I will share that the longer the blog post, the more I struggled. The shorter the blog post, it was a pretty seamless quilt. I didn't you know, necessarily pause to take pictures because I wasn't stumped. I just kind of flew through the process. And I can tell you, I refer to my blog often. How did I do that again? And so it's very much for my own like re-education, but I, I do enjoy sharing it. Over time, it was about my own personal adventures here in my studio. Once I started traveling and teaching, I shared kind of the places I was going and the folks I was meeting with throughout the world. And so it's a little bit of everything. Yeah. And that's one thing I really love about blogs is that it's not like a newsletter that comes into your inbox and it's gone and, you know, you either have to save them somewhere, but the blog, you could go into it and scroll and find all these wonderful and even search sometimes to find inspiration. So that's, yeah, that's what I love about the blog. And if so, you go back to like 2010, when I first started it, you'll see how new and how green I was and things are, oh, this is new for me. And so I certainly hope you see that evolution, that progression in my quilt making journey because of these different risk-taking experiences I've had. So yeah, if you really want to go back, go for it. And you can see all of that kind of, you know, little aha moments throughout the process. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because I love your writing. I also want to talk about your monthly newsletter. So when mm -hmm. does that come out and what kind of things will we see in the newsletter? Yeah. So my monthly newsletter goes out the first Saturday of each month. So it can change depending on the day, but it's the first Saturday and I call it my monthly boost of quilting fun and inspiration. And so I certainly talk about what I'm doing here in the studio and celebrate. And some of it might be mixed media carving. It's not 100% all quilting related, but it all ties and feeds into my quilt making for sure. I talk about my love of quilt challenges and where you can find upcoming quilt challenges. So if you're like, I want to do that, that sounds like fun. I share some of the ones that are on my radar that are open to the world. I don't necessarily share, you know, guild challenges since they tend to be just open to those guild members, but ones that are open to anybody and everybody, I'm happy to celebrate and share those. And then I share what's inspiring me. So where am I getting my inspiration? Is it other Instagrammers? Is it different videos I'm watching, but different online sources of inspiration, maybe books or blog posts. So I always try to highlight some other artists that are kind of feeding my creative soul. Mm -hmm. So if you're looking for something that's new to you, that's a great place to go because there's always something new every month. That sounds so good. Okay, so let's talk about what quilts have been memorable for you. Yeah. So you talked about the mandalas. That's definitely one of my favorite quilts. That was for our Project Quilting One Week Challenge. 
The first one was all about thread. It was one of the earlier challenges I did. And I had been doodling models on, you know, pencil and paper. And, you know, one of my favorite questions to ask is what if, or could I, could I do this with fabric and, and thread? And so I just, tried it. I did free motion quilting, started very improv, one ring at a time, changing colors. And I was like, oh, this is so cool. Create a whole cloth quilted mandala. And then a few weeks later, they had another theme, one week challenge. It was through a child's eye. And this is the one that's usually a crowd pleaser for folks when they do my trunk shows. And, you know, a lot of the fellow participants for Project Quilting were doing their kids or grandkids artwork and reinterpreting as a quilt. I don't have kids and I don't have grandkids, but I remembered as a child, my mother did crayon etched artwork with us when we would take crayon rubbings on paper and then cover it with either black crayon or black paint. And then you would use like a penny or a, you know, a stick or something, and you could scratch away that black layer to reveal, reveal all the colors underneath. And again, I wondered if I could do this with fabric and quilting. And so I took a, made a normal quilt sandwich, bright, colorful fabric with all these splotches of color. It looked very painterly. And then I covered up with a black solid. I think it was a Kona or something of that nature. Covered it up instead of paint, did all my quilting, and then I pulled up my seam ripper. And usually, you know, seam rippers have a bad wrap. For this process, it's a really cool technique where you make a little slice and then cut open and remove that top layer of black from those different quilted sections. And that reveals, instead of scratching away the paint, I'm cutting away that black area to share that fabric underneath. And people just marvel at the transformation because I'm quilting on black the entire time. I forget where the splotches of pink or yellow. And so it's just a cool transformation. I call it a cheap thrill because it's just that that scratching away or that cutting away is just such a fun experience. Yeah, that's so cool. It's like it's like a raw edge reverse applique technique kind of. Exactly. <laughs> <cloth>. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that sounds so fun. Okay, what else? Are there any other projects or collaborations that have been really memorable for you? Yeah, there's one other one. Not such great story. Again, challenges. One of the challenges I did was almost a 14, 15 month long challenge. It was with at the time Modern Quilt Unlimited magazine. It's no longer in publication. It was a beautiful glossy magazine. And they teamed up with Michael Miller and they did everything old is new again challenge. And the way it worked is that each month they would give us a traditional quilt block and we would give it a modern makeover and create design either using piecing, applique, or a combination, a 12-inch finished block. Pretty easy peasy on a monthly basis. We would upload our picture. There would be a vote. My little sailboat block got tied for first place. I got some fun prizes for that. And after 12 months, you can imagine what comes next. You've got 12 finished blocks that are all kind of you know cohesive designs. And they gave us about two, maybe three months to turn into a finished quilt. And so I was super excited. I found this beautiful layout inspired by scrapbooking. I put it up on, I, I uh, got it done. Lots of negative space for free motion quilting. I was super proud of it. I actually finished it like two or three days ahead of schedule. I am queen of the 11th hour. And this was done early. I did my blog post. I entered it online. And I get an email from our friend that night. She goes, Mel, I don't know how to tell you this, but I think your quilt's too big. Uh, oh, she goes, I was, yeah. In my blogs, I always include the dimensions of, in my blog post, so you can get a sense of scale. It was 72 by 72 inches. 
the rule said it could be no bigger than 60 by 60. Oh no. Uh, my stomach just dropped. I was like, oh my gosh, 15 months of working on this quilt. It was a really painful lesson to learn. Uh, I'm sure I read those dimensions somewhere, but in my like focus of getting this great design, lots of negative space, I forgot them. So I emailed the organizer, said I messed up royally. I'm removing myself and not, you know, ch- you know, championing for votes or anything. It was very painful few oh. days. Luckily, some good stuff came out of it. I entered into my county fair, got best modern quilts for that. I entered into Pacific International Quilt Festival. It got third place for modern. And it was also juried into Houston Quilt Festival. So at least some happy stuff came out of it. Yeah. But it was a pretty miserable few days and a, a hard lesson learned. But it's something that will definitely stick with me. Oh, that's so great. Well, and you know, it's a really good story looking back. You can smile on it now, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I share that with most of my lectures. It's one of my favorite quilts to bring and share with folks. Oh, that's great. Okay. So let's talk about some of the organizations that have really helped you along the way. Let's start with some of your local guilds. Yeah. Fairly early into moving into California, I joined the Santa Clara Valley Quilt Association. I attended some quilt shows, you know, guild shows back in New York, but I never joined the guilds. And I think I had my own preconceived notions of what a guild was like. And so when I joined this quilt guild, I showed up for my first meeting and they're a pretty large guild. They've hit 500 members in some years. And so it was a whole culture shock and it definitely broke up what my preconceived notions were. It's a vibrant community because it's a larger guild. They bring in speakers, national, international on a, a monthly basis. And I've been really lucky to take a number of workshops and hear their, their presentations. Pretty early on, I learned, you know, if you want these guilds to thrive, you have to volunteer to help them go. They are all volunteer led. So I joined the board as a guild historian for four years. So I got to sit front row center right next to the speaker and take pictures throughout the meetings of show and tell and some of the lecture presentate, you know, in terms of their quilts, uh, their trunk show. And so that was a really great opportunity. I did our quilt show for a number of years, the layup and setup. So that was a, a fun process and really helped me get connected with fellow guild members. So that's kind of the local area and they do it all. They do traditional, they do art, they do modern. So it really gave me a deep dive into the variety of quilting. And then I also joined Sakwa a number of years later, Studio Art Quilt Associates. I would say I was a little intimidated at first. I mean, these are some pretty heavy hitter art quilters, but I gradually found my niche in there. And really, I found it was very helpful for the professional development, the design development, kind of taking my skills to that next level in terms of artistically. So I really found great value in being a SACWA member. And again, I kind of got involved. We were having our 2019 annual conference was here in San Jose. So I was part of the local organizing committee to help kind of what fun excursions or features that we could do here in San Jose and be part of that involvement. And shortly after, I, you know, because of my involvement, I was invited to join the board. And so I did that for a year before getting voted to become the vice president. And I'm currently the president of Studio Art Quilt Associates. Oh, that's such an honor. And, you know, 
just seeing the Studio Art Quilt Associates displays at Quilt Festival and the different shows that I've been to, it's incredible the amount of talent that comes out of that organization. So if you're thinking, if you're a quilter right now and you're thinking of stepping into textile art, fiber art, art quilting, this is an organization you really want to check out their website. So that is as simple as four letters, <laughs> sakwa.com. So that's S-A-Q-A.com. So you want to go check that out. It's an amazing organization. We have 4,000 members all around the world. And a common misperception about Sakwa is it's only for art quilters. And that's, we actually have a number, I would say the majority of our members are active practicing art quilters. They're pretty serious about their art, but we have a number that have never made an art quilt. They might be in the museums, they might be in galleries, they might be collectors and fans of art quilts. So if you're if you are loving art quilts of any kind, looking at, appreciating, collecting, we're an amazing organization for you. Yeah. Just when you go to the website, you'll just be blown away just looking at the galleries alone. And there's challenges and there's support systems and education. There's a lot of things going on with SACO. I've been a member for quite some time and I really enjoy everything that comes out in the news, in the emails and, and things like that. And plus, the next SACO conference is coming up in Toronto. Yes, we're coming up to Canada. We're super excited. This was supposed to go forward. This was the plan for our 2020 conference was going to be in Toronto. You know, the pandemic hit and in about 10 days, they pivoted to virtual conference. It was incredible. The staff, the volunteers making that switch and seeing that conference and how you could create community, how you could see great speakers kind of got me my brain swirling as to, okay, I'm ready to do virtual teaching. So that was a big kind of part of me jumping to virtual teaching is because of that conference. Um, and they've done three conferences virtually since then, which has been great because again, as a global audience, our global membership, not everybody can come and travel to Toronto or travel to San Jose to come to our conferences. So by going virtual, it's made it much more affordable and much more accessible to our members living and creating all around the world. So they've been wonderful, some amazing speakers because again, they don't have to travel so they can come in. We've had keynote speakers from Austin Cleon. We had Janet Uckelman last year. So it's really opened up a number of possibilities for our organization. Yeah, some really great content coming out of SACWA. And you've also been involved in a way with, or you've gotten value from the Craft Industry Alliance. Yeah, it's a great organization. If you have a craft or art business, they're a wonderful resource. So I, you know, when I first started teaching, I looked at my local, like, you know, small businesses. We have locally SCORE. It's a service core of retired executives. And so they do a lot of programming for business. But here in Silicon Valley, Almost all the classes and programs were focused on startups for engineering or startup for software. And, you know, I, I would go to some of the classes and I could make it apply to art, but it was a stretch and 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 I would be the only art or teacher or educator in the in the group. And so for me, craft industry fills that 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 gap that I needed. It really is about a community of artists who are making a living doing their art. So it's a really robust resource of programs, webinars, articles, all focus on craft. And there's certainly a large number of quilters. I think we have a, a large contingency, but there's other you know, jewelry, there's fashion, there's a number of different niches that are represented. They do monthly roundtables, which I really enjoy connecting with other colleagues and seeing where are their 
sticking points and how can we support each other? I've done some of their mastermind programs where I get teamed up with a, a small group of people have a similar professional interest. That's where my book kind of got started was with one of those masterminds. We would do weekly writing sessions where every week, one hour, we get together, log on to Zoom and work one hour, heads down, no distractions. And that was really helpful kind of moving some of my processes forward. Yeah. And Abby Glassenberg, the co-founder and president of Craft Industry Alliance, she actually has this newsletter that comes out. I don't even know how often. Is it weekly? But weekly. It, is, it is so packed with information, everything from the latest news. You know, this place is shutting down. This place is joining forces. This place is growing. You know, she has all the latest industry news in the craft industry. They're now fully involved in H&H Americas, which is a great big show in the U.S. now that also happens in Europe. And another thing that's really cool in there is just the whole job listings and there's opportunities to advertise if you have a business. It's just, I love that newsletter and it's free. So if you want to check out that organization, you can go and take a look at that newsletter. So it's craftindustryalliance.org, O-R-G. Okay. Okay. So let's talk about Northern California Quilt Council. Yeah, I, you know, two organizations have been especially impactful in terms of my professional side as a teacher, the first being Northern California Quilt Council. I was advised very early on to join Northern California Quilt Council. Big part of the benefit is they do what's called a Meet the Teacher program. They bring teachers, 30 teachers offering different quilting classes and programs, and then they invite guilds to attend. So guilds send like their program chairs, their presidents. And it's everybody's under one roof. We get a three minutes pitch to talk about our latest, greatest workshops. And guilds are there making notes and doing bookings pretty quickly after. And so that's how I got my foot in the door with a number of guilds in Northern California teaching. Southern California Council of Quilt Guilds does a comparable program. I've done their Meet the Teacher program as well. But Northern California being at you know, pretty close by. I joined their board, helped out with their Meet the Teacher programs. I helped them pivot to virtual teaching for both the guilds as well as the teachers. So it's been a great program that's helped out. And then the other organization is Global Quilt Connection. And that's on a global level. And that came out, one of the happy things that came out of the pandemic is they actually come to the Northern California Quilt Council, meet the teacher that we pivoted to virtual. We're like, oh, what are we going to do? Guilds still have to kind of go on and booking programs. So we we helped the teachers pivot. And so Lyra Kennard and Sue Blyweiss had come over and taken a promoted their teaching and they founded Global Quick Connections. They're like, oh, we can make this work. And so that was a great opportunity. I was one of the participants in their first Meet the Teachers webinar on a global platform. And that really opened up a number of opportunities and invitations to teach, you know, virtually around the world, all from here in San Jose. And maybe a few months into the process, as it was growing by leaps and bounds, they invited me to be the social media and advertising coordinator. So I was part of that leadership team and really loved seeing everybody grow with this virtual world. It was so wonderful and rewarding to see teachers who were initially nervous with virtual teaching thrive and get bookings and sell out different programs. Some of our Meet to the Teacher program, one teacher's website crashed because she had so much traffic from people going over, sold out patterns, all this great thing. So that was a really rewarding experience to kind of help support our industry, our leaders, our movers and shakers, and really kind of provide that need for guilds to book amazing teachers that are all 
offering virtual programs. So yeah, really wonderful. Unfortunately, I won't be continuing with that in 2023. I just got so much on my plate, but it's an amazing organization, Lyrics carrying it forward. So it's definitely a, a go-to resource for guilds, groups, anybody that's looking for virtual programs, they're your go-to source. Yeah, I really love it. And I joined in right early on as well. And it really helped me get my information out to the world. And, you know, it helped me blossom over the pandemic. So it was such a great organization to be involved in. Okay. I so, so remember your Meet the Teachers because, <laughs> you know, when you, when we're doing the Meet the Teachers here in California, it's the same teachers for the most part. part. And so when Global Quilt Connections, I think we were in the same group. And I was like, who is this quilter on fire? I must look her up. I mean, you had such great energy. You definitely present yourself very strong. And so I was super excited when you got your podcast up and running. And so you definitely got into my radar as a result of some of those Meet the Teacher programs. So congratulations for really putting oh. yourself out there and taking that risk. Well, thank you. And you know, California was so wonderful to me. I think I got one booking and she kind of schooled me that I wasn't charging enough, which was so sweet. I mean, it's not very often someone hiring you is going to say, you should charge a bit more. So that was a nice lesson for me. And then boom, 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 one after another, they must've been sharing the information because California guilds were booking me. I think I did over a dozen in California over the pandemic. So yeah, it was really nice to be part of that organization and be able to get what I do out into the world. Yeah. And speaking of getting out into the world, we are traveling again, but I want to talk about some of your past favorite quilting events you've attended and maybe some quilt travel highlights. Yeah. So I was reflecting, I was like, gosh, where have I gone? Because it feels like eternity. I've done a few travel teaching engagements, but I'm really focusing mostly on virtual for the next year because of the busy schedule and everything else. Yeah. But as I reflected back, I was like, oh, I had a great trip to Lincoln and Omaha, Nebraska. It was two guilds, maybe 40, 45 minutes away from each other. So they block booked me, which was really great because they got to share the travel costs. That worked out really well. So I spent two or three days in Lincoln doing teaching and lecturing. And one of those days was on a Monday when the Lincoln, Nebraska International Quilt Study Center is usually closed. But because they had a number of volunteers that are part of that museum, I got to go in on a Monday when it was closed to the public and have pretty much the entire museum to ourselves. We got a little behind the scenes tour of their quilt storage center and their photography booth. It was just an incredible experience, amazing quilts on display as part of their exhibition. So that was a real treat and honor to be visiting them. The Omaha quilters took me to this beautiful botanical conservatory. It was a rainy day, but we got to stay kind of cozy and warm and just soak up nature inspiration. So that was really fun. And I would say one of my favorite teaching travel was actually not so far away, but it was down to Glendale quilters. It's Southern California. It was probably about an hour, hour and 20 minute flight for me. Not very far, but the program chair, Cindy, was incredible. Uh, I think I did my lecture and then I had like a day off for before my workshop. And I was like, what am I going to do? She goes, don't worry, we'll, we'll take you around. And they took me to the Hunting Library and Botanical Gardens. Incredible. They have Japanese gardens and desert gardens. It was a gorgeous day. Lots of inspiration. And Cindy was aware of my comedy improv. So she actually got tickets to see the Upright Citizens Brigade, which is like one of the major troops in the improv world. And we got to go see a musical improv that night. I mean, it was just like all these little things that, you know, not little things, but it was just incredible hosts. Some of their board members were part of those trips and excursions, but it was a fun and it really kind of helped pass that day off from teaching and a really fun way to explore. So. 
Oh, that sounds like so much fun. And you have actually got some virtual highlights as well, because you have taught virtually in all these cool little spots in the world. So tell us about some of those. Yeah, that's the beautiful thing about virtual is it really kind of takes off some of those barriers. And so, you know, for the most part, most of my teaching traveling was here in California, which is a huge state, you know, I think folks forget, but I'd done some to New York City and I'd done some to Nebraska and some other places, Nevada. With, with virtual, it really blew things up. I was getting a lot more East Coast bookings, which is appropriate. You know, this was the time to get me since there wasn't travel. But I was able to go international and several bookings with Canadian guilds. And they were super excited that sometimes there's some challenges with crossing the border as a traveling teacher because of customs and whatnot. So that was really exciting to teach for a number of Canadian guilds. But I also got to teach for a group of quilters in Oman. I had to look up on the map where the heck they were. I've done a few for a group of quilters in Israel. So it's been really a wonderful adventure to see that quilting really is a worldwide phenomena and to kind of be connections, you know, virtual connections with quilters all around the world. So it's been a fun part of my journey. Yeah, that's so exciting. Okay, so last question before the break, we're going to take a quick break right away. But in your quilting world, what brings you joy? Oh, so much brings me joy. I would say it's the little discoveries, the little aha moments like, ooh, and truly teaching and connect with others. I really get great joy from teaching, lectures, and just seeing those that we're all quilters and we all have this passion in common. So that I really get a great energy. You know, when we have those evening guild meetings, I am just ramped up from all the excitement during the show and tells and just all the programs that guilds are doing for their groups. It's like, oh my God, I can't go to sleep for an hour or so because I'm just so like wired and ramped up. So it's been fun. Yeah. So nice to see you doing your passion, right? Yes. Okay. So right now we're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, we're going to talk all about Mel's studio space, any awards she's won along the way. And we're going to dive more into her teaching and speaking. We'll be right back. Whatnot.com is proud to support the Quilter on Fire podcast. Whatnot is a social marketplace where you can discover some of your favorite products and buy top fabric and quilting tools for absolute steals. It is the leading live shopping app for quilting and sewing. And it's not only for buyers who want a great deal. You can also be a live seller and de-stash your extra products easily through the Whatnot app. Check it out at whatnot.com. Do you feel physically and mentally weighed down? Not feeling creative or happy at the end of every day? Dara Thomason has created the perfect solution for you. It's called Love Yourself Thin. It's a lifetime membership for quilters where they guarantee their own permanent weight loss. Discover how to liberate yourself from your old weight loss stories and start living the life you truly want. Love great before and after stories? Go to www.darathomason.com to see the transformations of fellow quilters who have lost physical and mental weight. Love yourself thin. And we are back. Mel, can you tell us about your studio space? What kind of place do you live and work in? Sure. So my studio space has certainly evolved over the years. When I first started quilting, it was like a small corner of my my apartment, like I had a tiny little round table. And, you know, like a goldfish, I kind of grow to my size. So currently here in San Jose, I've taken over the formal living room as my studio space with a little bit carried over into my guest room for some of my quilt storage. 
I geek out over studio organization. I've got a few books on it. I have a whole Pinterest board on studio organization. And right now we're recording in December. That's kind of my downtime from teaching. And it's my studio kind of get reorganized for the new year. So I go through pretty much every nook and cranny. I kind of weed out what am I no longer interested in? And it served its purpose, basically. So I've got rid of a few books that, you know, they had their time and their place, but I you know, would like to gift them on to other quilters that would get more out of them at this time. I go through every piece of fabric and refold it and kind of rethink, okay, am I, do I love this fabric or is it time to let it go to make space for newer fabrics? Uh, one of my hobbies, so certainly getting in some of the mixed media. I've got paints, I've got stamps, so I've had to kind of carve out space for those. If you were in my studio yesterday, it looked like a tornado rolled through, and it still does over in this corner of my in my space. But friendly trip to Ikea yesterday, you know, stocking up on some new bookshelves, some different containers to kind of corral everything. So I do enjoy doing that. And it's I enjoy it because I get to reintroduce to all the supplies I've purchased. It's like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. And that's kind of back in my my brain for upcoming challenges I'll be kicking off in January. But it's also about carving out space for the things that I really do love to do and, and kind of getting rid of the things that it's great. It's out of my system. Let's move on. Yeah. And it's nice to find what's in that box inside the box behind the other box. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> And I will say that, you know, my studio is certainly my creative space. It's where I do my meetings for Sakwa and other groups. It's also where I do daily yoga. So it's kind of a multi-purpose room. I do yoga almost every morning. In fact, I'll be doing yoga after this recording. And so I do it here. So here I am doing my stretches or my poses and I'm surrounded by my fabric, my UFOs. And so I can do some of my best design processes right after those yoga sessions. So it's it's been a fun kind of juxtaposition of two uh, passions of mine. Yeah, well, it's your living room, right? So not, why not live in it? <laughs> <laughs> you got it. Yeah. Okay, so can you kind of, you, you did touch on yoga and the different things you do, but can you give us a glimpse into the day in the life? Like what's your average work day look like? Yeah. So I would say, you know, moving to California, I tend to sleep in a little bit more. California has a different pace, I would say, than New York. So I tend to sleep in a little bit. I have three little dogs, so oftentimes they get a morning walk, so they're tuckered out. And then I do my yoga fairly early in the morning. So that's kind of a great start to my day. It kind of helps me calm, get centered for whatever lies in store. And then from there, it's kind of what comes next. What fires do I have to put out? What emails or contracts are on my plate? I have a bullet journal. I've been doing bullet journaling for, gosh, three or four years now. And that's kind of the night before I dump my brain. What else do I have to do? And so I go to my bullet journal after my yoga practice and say, okay, what are my priorities today? And did anything new come up that's going to bump something else out? But it's a combination of creating. It's a combination of computer work sometimes or blogging. Sometimes it's developing a new class or a new project. And a good day is the day that I get to be at my at my sewing machine and creating and quilting or doing block printing. That's a great day is when I don't have to be on the computer and I can just be playing the entire time in my jammies. Yeah. And your socials, all your feeds are beautiful. So do you sort of batch time to do that? Or do you kind of do inspirations taking photos as you go and post whenever you like? I would say I would like to batch post. I think it's a great idea. I don't think it's always feasible when I'm doing 100 day projects. It's like kind of do it on the daily burst. But I know I kind of earmarked that there'll be a post that day. So yeah, something I can work on maybe 2023 is be more intentional or schedule. But really, it's pretty improv. Whenever I have something that's 
shareable. I'll do a quick post. And honestly, sometimes it's the silliest stuff. You know, I've been doing some videos where I'm like block printing a mandala and I'll just put my camera on and people are just mesmerized. I did one on cleaning my iron board that went like almost viral. And so sometimes it's those little things that people really take great interest in. So you never know. Yeah. You mean you're supposed to clean your ironing board? I usually just throw another thing over. (laughs) Yeah, I do that too as well. But once in a while, the gunk and I, you know, but yes. I have to say, actually, I have the most glorious ironing board because I got it from my grandmother when she passed away many, many years ago. But she had this ironing board for decades and she would just layer after layer of more, I think it's wool or something. It's just so, it's just the perfect ironing board. I don't know how I'll ever replace it. Hopefully Uh, I won't have to. Hope not. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah. So can you tell us what is your favorite time of day? I would say the evening. You know, I used to be a very much a morning person back in New York, but lately and certainly since the, you know, 2020, I would say the evenings. I would say nine, 10 o'clock is when I often go into my studio to do my 100 day project, my daily carving. And that's just like my quiet time. It's kind of a nice way to end the day, reflect, and it helps kind of quiet my brain before I have to go to bed. So that's been my favorite time of the day. Yeah. Okay, let's dive into your teaching and speaking. So what have been your most popular workshops lately? Oh, I say my workshops kind of fit into three different categories. A third or so are folks on free motion quilting, mostly on a domestic machine. But the beautiful thing about virtual teaching is that anybody can join. That means if you have a long arm or a mid arm that you would normally not want to schlep to an in-person class. I've gotten more and more long armers joining my classes. And because I do have a long arm here in my studio, I can share tips and tricks that have helped for me. So those have been really fun. And I will share that I was hesitant to teach free motion quilting. I was still fairly new, but I would teach, I started teaching walking foot quilting and people would love it. And then they'd see my quilts in my trunk show like, oh, is this walking foot? And be like tiny little pebbles or little spirals. I'm like, no, that's free motion quilting. Oh, do you teach this? Not yet. So I love teaching free motion quilting. I love taking folks that are fearful of of stitching with their machines and seeing that joy, that confidence grow in just an hour or two. It's incredible. And especially with virtual teaching, nobody's watching. They're not comparing, you know, my stitching compared to my neighbor's and hers or his looks better. And so that's been a real joy. And again, anybody can work on their primary machines. The other third of my classes focus on more modern design, improv piecing, construction techniques. And then I'm doing more and more with art quilting. So design by dice, mark making. So that's a newer direction I'm kind of offering in my classes as I get a bigger body of work. So it's kind of nice because guilds often will book me multiple years because they can book me for an applique one year, a free motion, a piecing, and I can fill, check off a number of boxes that they may be trying to fill for their members' interests. Yeah. And you have the Empty Spools Seminar coming up. So tell us about that. Yeah, I'm super excited. I would say most of my classes are usually a one day, even if we break it up at six hours. Empty Spools is a gorgeous venue here in California. It's like central California. And they have these five sessions each year where they do deep dives. They bring in teachers from all around the world. 
And you get to sign up and do five days intensive with that instructor of your choice. So I'm really excited. This is a brand new class that I'll be offering. It's a kind of a mishmash of my other classes, but basically it's a, it's called Mark Making and Mandala Magic. So it combines my current favorites. We'll spend about two or three days making marks on fabric, starting with solid fabrics and using a variety of techniques using paint to kind of transform into your own original palette. And then we're going to put that palette to use and create an original mandala design that will be all fused. So there's no machines being schlepped. It'll all be fused down, but we'll talk about how to finish them and, and quilt them when you get back to home. So I'm really excited. That'll be in early March, 5th through the 10th. And it's down at empty, it's empty school seminars, but it's down at Silmar. It's right there on the beach, right close to the Pacific Ocean. So gorgeous vistas, a great chance to kind of walk, walk around and explore. Oh, so, so much fun. And I am looking at Mark Making and Mandela Magic right now on your website. So you have to go and look at this quilt. It is so amazing. And I, when I was first looking at this, when we were talking earlier, I was like, did you make that Mark with Q-tips? Like, it is so <laughs> cool. Just, I wish I could get into the picture and see it close up or see it in person. It's <laughs> so gorgeous. So this is for the confident beginner all the way up to advanced, right? You, you got it. Be- yeah. I was a featured artist a few months back and I brought that quilt with me and people like, oh, this looks so difficult. I'm like, trust me, they are really simple shapes. All my models are really simple shapes. I've got a number of tips and tricks to make it fun. So I can't wait to see what everybody creates during those five days together. Yeah. And so if you got the Tuesday podcast preview today, you saw a picture of that. It's, it's like a teal. Oh, it's, it's beautiful. You saw a picture of it. And so if you want to sign up for that or get involved in that, if you're in the California area, it's emptyspoolsseminars.com. You can scroll down and click on click here to view workshop information and you'll find it all right there. There's a registration form and everything. Okay, so let's talk about a few of your lectures. Describe what you talk about when you do lectures. Yeah, I have uh, currently three lectures. I try to add one each year or so. And so I talk about my quilt making journey, but it tells a story. So challenge yourself. I talk about my love of quilt challenges. And I start off by debunking some of the fears that are often associated with you know quilt challenges and all the reasons why people don't do them. And so that's a fun, I share the highs, the lows of quilt quilt challenges. And I bring a number of my quilts that I've made and that were inspired by quilt challenges. So my goal is to get everybody to try at least one quilt challenge at the end of that presentation. I mentioned my love of free motion quilting. So that turned into a lecture. I call it free motion quilting creative. And it's kind of a love of my reality TV watching. It's my guilty pleasure here in my studio when I'm creating and doing something kind of mindless. And I kind of talk about tips and tricks for free motion success through the lens of reality TV. So it's kind of fun, whimsical. People are like, really, it's reality TV, but they they all get it. Even if you're not a fan of reality TV, you'll get the connections and I give you a little preview and you'll see how it all ties in and makes sense. And then my most recent one is fun and games quilting. And that talks about how I incorporate fun and games in my own quilt making process. That includes dice, playing cards, Legos. So I hope to inspire other folks to incorporate some fun and games in their quilt making. 
So three great lectures to choose from. So if you are a member of a guild or the organizer for lectures, you can go to Mel's website and book those anytime. Okay, so now is where I'm going to grill you a little bit about some of the wonderful highlights of your quilting career. So I want to talk about magazine features and things like that. So where have you been featured in magazines? Yeah, I'm super honored to have published articles with Quilting Arts Magazine. It's a beautiful beautiful magazine that certainly inspired me over the years in my art making journey. So I've had a number of articles published with them. I've also been on their quilting arts TV show, as well as their podcast. So that's been a really fun partnership. I published my Dice Project and Curated Quilts. It's a quarterly magazine with a more modern flair, I would say. Sharing that was part of their COVID issue. And then I've also published with Craft Industry Alliance. I've done two articles for them, for professionals that, again, are, are looking to kind of try something different in their art making or a creative practice. Yeah. And so you were also an artist in residence on the Quilting Arts TV and podcast. What does that mean? Yeah, it's a really fun. Uh, I did a taping in Ohio where we did three tape segments for their Quilting Arts TV show. And so Susan Brobacker Knapp is an amazing host. She really puts you at ease. They have a whole team. You have Vivica's there. They have Bernine Ambassador educators there on hand to help you be comfortable using machines, such for success. So it feels like a lifetime ago, but that was a really positive experience. And those episodes are often playing on local like PBS stations around the world. So you can catch those or you can certainly order a copy. I think there are now downloads. It used to be DVDs, but since so many computers don't have that anymore, you can just download for instant access and hours and hours of inspiration. Yeah. So those, so the Quilting Arts TV episodes were the 2500 and 2600 series. So if you want to hear the podcast, you can go to Mel's website under interviews. You can hear that Quilting Arts TV podcast, but there's also another thing that you did called the Show Up Society podcast. So what was that all about? Yeah. So this past year, oh, actually it was through the Craft Industry Alliance. They had an amazing presenter, Show Up Society, Tammy Bennett. She's a, a life coach and she did a fantastic webinar for the Craft Industry Alliance. And I was like, wow, I love her energy. I love her approach, her mindset. And so I've been listening to her podcast, often the other short little bursts. I was listening to hers and she was offering some group coaching sessions and she did one early this year. It was on goals. So setting goals and achieving them. And it was just one month, you know, weekly kind of talks, super uplifting, super successful. She did another group coaching for businesses, so how to show up for your own business. And that was really positive as well. So she's a, a great kind of motivational. If you're feeling like you're in a slump or you need that mindset change, and it really is about, you know, gamifying stuff. So things we have to do in our world, you know, we have to wear many hats. How do we gamify it? How do we turn it into I get to? So she's a great one if for, for really anybody. She works with runners. She works with creative folks. She's truly incredible. What a great idea. Yeah. Craft Industry Alliance has so many different opportunities. So that's really kind of cool. Okay. And you were also on the quilt show with Ricky Timms and Alex Anderson. So tell us about that experience. That was a super pinch me moment. Again, as I mentioned, Alex Anderson was part of my quilt making and learning journey, watching her on Simply Quilt. So to be emailed and, and say I was invited to go out to Colorado to do a taping. I'm like, oh my gosh, pinch me. And not until I actually got there and I saw Justin and Ricky, I was like, okay, this is real. I kept thinking that somebody was gagging me or something. And so they are a top-notch 
production team, their producer, Shelly, she's worked with Oprah and some other programs, and she knows how to ask the right questions and really craft a show that tells something unique about you and your, your quilt making journey. So she's amazing. So I've done two episodes with them. One, I went out to La Vida, Colorado, which was Ricky's home. And then during the pandemic, we were still shut down in California. Alex and her her crew, they booked an Airbnb up in Livermore, which is about a 30-minute drive from me. And so they set up a little a little production in an Airbnb set, set up. It was a gorgeous space, very limited crew. It was just Alex hosting since we were really, they were really trying to streamline who's coming going. And I got Alex to roll the dice with me and we did some little you know, design on the fly or design by dice with her. So she was game for that. It was awesome. Oh, that sounds like so much fun. Okay, so let's dive into some of the awards you've won along the way or honorable mentions and things like that. Yeah. So yeah, I tell people yeah, I've done a hundred quilt challenges, but I would say only a handful have turned into honors, but it's a real pinch me moment when you see your quilt with a ribbon. And so Pacific International Quilt Festival is one of the biggest shows I've been to. It was here in my backyard when I first moved to California. So it's about 15 minute drive from us. And it was a huge show. And I was like, oh my gosh, I was, I, I went home in tears the first time I went to it because these art quilts and, and quilts in general were so incredible. I've been quilting for a number of years and I couldn't figure out how half of them were constructed or made. I was like, oh my gosh, who am I to call myself a quilter? So I took those classes. I took classes through them. They often offered classes as part of their show. And I came back each year after year. Okay, I figured out that. And I started entering my quilts and they were juried in. I was like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. So I've gotten some awards from their juried show, both honorable mention and some third places, including this year. I had my quilts out there and there was one I was like, I don't know, maybe I should enter it. Sure, why not? It's so easy. I don't have to ship it. And I was super honored to have a third place in the modern quilt categories. They do a mid-century modern. So two of my quilts have gotten third place in that category. So that was exciting. Okay, so now we're going to dive into the lightning round, Robin. It's a series mm -hmm. of rapid fire questions and it's super fun. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm going to put my comedy improv skills to the test. <laughs> That's right. I might throw in a few extra questions. You never know. <laughs> what is your favorite tool or notion? Oh, Tide. Blue painter's tape is my go-to. I use it for everything. There's a cabinet behind me. Half of it is all different blue tapes. And the other one is Elmer's School Glue. I use it for a lot of different things for construction and matching things up and binding. So those are my two go-tos that I have stock up each year to make sure I have plenty of it on hand. Yeah, I think you could even get artsy-fartsy and use it as a resist, right? And then wash oh, it Oh, yes. <laughs> okay, do you ever have a sewing or quilting escape from your business? I do. So I try to get away with some girlfriends once a year or so, and we do a bit of a quilters retreat. So that's always fun, something to look forward to. My guild's done quilters retreats as well. And I try to do something fun, different with that as well. Okay, throwing in a new question you didn't know about. <gasps> what is something that you would love to learn that you've never tried before? I am always on the scope out for different techniques. Oh, I do know three-dimensional. I, uh, Sakwa has really kind of been redefining what an art quilt is, and that includes three-dimensional pieces. 
And so I want to learn more about the guts of how to build a three-dimensional quilt and how you can get together. So I have a few different ideas to get me started. That might be a future 100-day project to be determined, but that's kind of something that's still mystifying me. And I would like to play in that area, that arena. Yeah. 3D vessels and things like that. That would be really fun. Yeah. Okay. Do you have any kind of personal reward system for getting things done? Oh, my bullet journal, crossing that thing off is very motivational. I know it's such a geeky thing to say, but I love checking things off and have that productivity. I try to treat myself to other fun things like my Dr. Pepper in the afternoon. Like last night, I had a soda float, things like that. I try not to do too many of those, but I always look for something fun to incorporate in each day. It's kind of reward some of those good progress days. Okay, I'm going to throw in another random question you didn't know about. And that since you mentioned, you know, goal planning, do you have any resolutions for the new year? Oh, great question. This is something I've done almost annually. As I said, I don't necessarily set out to lose weight or get, you know, go to the gym. I've been doing five creative-based resolutions for most years. And it's, you know, again, talking about what's holding me back from whatever I want to achieve. And I look at what's holding me back and what skills can I add so that's how uh, past resolutions have been learned to free motion quilts, learn how to dye my own fabric, put my quilts into shows, join the teaching circuit. Those are all past resolutions I was very successful with. So I'm already starting. I have a whole list in my little notebook. I'm like writing down, what do I want to do for next year? I haven't quite finalized the five for 2023, but I've got lots of exciting opportunities. So it's just kind of whittling it down to keep it manageable. I try not to go beyond five. Mm-hmm. Can you give us one example? I think three-dimensional is definitely one of the top of the of the list. Okay. Have you ever, like, in any of your workshops and classes and anything, done any little comedy improv examples or integrated it in there any, in any way? Yeah. For the 2019 annual conference for Sakwa, I did a, I was part of the icebreaker open activity and I had 200 attendees around the tables. We did comedy improv together, which was super fun. It was a great little icebreaker. So that was a fun process. And I would say in several of my classes, you know, especially when we get to the afternoon, it's kind of that lull and they're kind of working on their projects. Sometimes I will try to entertain them with some different things. And so I don't know if I necessarily do a whole comedy improv show, but I always invite questions and they often ask me about the comedy improv. So that's kind of a fun little side segment we can incorporate with virtual. Oh, that is so fun. I was once at a retreat and I was the only Canadian from a cold climate and I had to do a little icebreaker. And so I imagined up this thing where we each write some fun things about ourselves on a piece of paper. We had to ball them up like a snowball. Then I I split the group in two. We stood behind chairs and we had a snowball fight. And Ah! then... And then we had to just randomly grab whichever one we were ended up with and we had to go and meet that person and, you know, and then we ended up having to find our own paper. So anyway, it was kind of fun. Oh, I love that idea. A a clean, warm version of a snowball fight. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) That's right. It was clean and warm. (laughs) Yeah, so fun. Okay, well, thank you. Oh, I have one more really important question in the lightning round, Robin. We don't want to forget about the furry friends in your studio. So tell us about your three dogs. Sure. I have three of them, uh, Suzuki, Panda, and Callie. They're all kind of mixed breeds. I would say there's no defining qualities of 
any of them. And they're fairly small from seven or 10 pounds up to 26 or 27. So they all have their dog beds underneath my sewing table so they can be nice and comfortable. They take their studio assistant job very responsibly. They chase away the mailman whenever he comes by and protects my quilts and everything else. But they, they certainly keep me entertained and company for my sessions. Oh, how fun. I love having my pup at my feet as well. Okay. So thank you for braving the lightning round, Robin. That was super fun. (laughs) And you did such a great job. Uh, So I've mentioned your website a couple of times, melbeachquilts.com, where we can find everything you offer. But where's the best place for quilters to connect with you on social media? I would say Instagram tends to be the most active. Again, with my 100-day projects, I'm posting pretty regularly. You can DM me through Instagram if you've got questions or want to learn more. But that's kind of a a daily thing. So, uh, Okay, and that Instagram handle is at Mel Beach Quilts. Okay, now we're going to mention this week's contest giveaway. And Mel is doing something very generous with her upcoming workshop. So Mel, take it away. Yeah, so I would say mostly I teach for guilds and groups, but each year I know there are a number of individuals that are not necessarily affiliated with the Quilt Guild or their Quilt Guild hasn't booked me. So I offer open enrollment classes. So I'll be scheduling three of them for May, June, July timeframe. So I'm going to give away two spots, one for you and a friend to take one of those classes. It'll be my open enrollments. So once you get chosen, Brandy, hopefully share your email and I'll give you your options of which classes you can sign up for and hopefully schedules will align and you and a friend can join me for some quilting fun tips and tricks. Yeah, I will definitely share the email with you. And that is such a great idea to give two away. So there'll be one lucky winner, but then you can invite a friend and bring someone with you to this virtual event. So I love it so much more fun when you have a friend this way you can compare notes and it's great for accountability that you'll finish it won't turn into a ufo project so yeah that is such a generous prize mel thank you so much you are most welcome i'm delighted okay now as we wrap up what do you want quilters to take away most from our conversation today I hope it's some inspiration to incorporate a bit of fun into their creative practice. And so kind of whether it's fun and games, whether it's dice rolling, I hope that they kind of carve out some time to have a bit of fun and try something new today. That is such a good message because so many people, like you mentioned earlier in the podcast, so many people want to try something, but they feel like they should nail it right off the start or they should be an expert right away. And I love that what you're saying right now is that it's all about creative play. Just try it and grow from there. Yes. Love it. Mel, it has been such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you for sharing your story today. Thank you, Brandon. This has been a fun conversation. I've loved your work for some time. I'm so happy for you. And this is a a pinch me moment. So thank you. Oh, thank you so much. Okay, so that was my show with Mel Beach. Don't you just want to drop everything and build in some solid studio time into your calendar every day? I can think of a dozen projects I would love to work on each and every day. My favorite takeaways from this podcast episode are to allow yourself that free creative play, to challenge yourself to do something random and something new each day, and to really stretch yourself like she did with the improv comedy. Is there something you've always wanted to try? It might just be time to put yourself first and plan out some me time. I love sharing the story of Mel Beach on the show today. Remember, you can find her everywhere on social media as Mel Beach Quilts.
I'm cruising the Caribbean with Stitch in Heaven this spring. Give yourself a break from the daily grind and book a quilting getaway just for you. Relax, shop, and enjoy the luxuries of ocean travel plus quilting at sea with me. You deserve it, so start your dream countdown today. Go to stitchinheaven.com and search for Patchwork Pirates. The cruise sets sail May 14th to 21st, 2023. And you know it's coming. I'm going back to London. My trip to the Festival of Quilts Birmingham was so much fun that I'm doing it again. Grab a friend and book your summer holiday with me. And even if you are a lone traveler, I know this itinerary inside out so you can relax and enjoy while every moment is planned just for you. This is such a wonderful sightseeing holiday ending with the Festival of Quilts, and I'd love to have you join me. Book your spot today by calling Judy at Opulent Quilt Journeys, 1-877-235-3767. Thank you for listening to the Quilter on Fire podcast. Until next time, dream big and have fun in the studio with the Quilter on Fire.